Hello and welcome to the Ram Gad Pod, the Realtors Association of Maui Government Affairs Director Podcast. I am your host, Jason Economou, Government Affairs Director for the Realtors Association of Maui, and this is my podcast. Sorry it's been a little while since my last episode. Things got a little bit hectic for about a week, and I had to rearrange my priorities a little bit. Now that I've put out some fires and gotten on top of things, I have a great episode for you. But before getting into the interview, let me give you a few quick updates. So keeping in line with my goal of fostering more realtor involvement in our local government and really just the community in general, I want to share the following. So the first is an opportunity to testify. The Environmental, Agricultural, and Cultural Preservation Committee of the County Council will be meeting on Tuesday, February 18th at 1.30 p.m., to discuss a bill restricting the use and sale of single-use plastic disposable foodware. Now, I support this legislation, and I encourage you all to look into it and provide your own testimony on the issue. Even if you don't support it, I still want you to get involved. From a policy standpoint, RAM believes that our island's well-being depends on our beaches, and RAM supports the maintenance of a robust beach environment as a key to a sustainable long-term plan for Maui. Reducing litter and the proliferation of microplastics throughout our island is an important step in protecting our beaches, and I commend the County Council for moving in that direction. And I encourage you all to do the same. This is... um, actual meaningful legislation that will help beautify our island and take care of the environment and i think it's a great idea so look into it and if you support please provide testimony if you don't support the measure then go ahead and provide testimony as well but what i would like you to do is at least explain why you don't support it and perhaps provide some suggestions as to how the legislation can get better For the West Maui Community Plan, there is a West Maui Community Plan Advisory Committee meeting scheduled for next week. Actually, there are two meetings scheduled for next week. The agendas should be available on the CPAC webpage at wearemaui.org, I believe is the uh, web address. Yes, wearemaui.org, and in the top right corner, there is a link for the CPAC webpage. The meetings are as follows. Uh, or as follows, Tuesday, February 18th at 5.30 p.m. in Keopulani Hall at Wyola Church, and Thursday, February 20th at 5.30 p.m. in the Social Hall at the Lahaina Civic Center. Similarly, the Wailuku Community Association has its upcoming 2020 annual Wailuku Community Association meeting scheduled for Wednesday, February 12th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the Empanada Lady Restaurant. That is tonight, February 12th, so from 5 to 7 p.m. at the Empanada Lady Restaurant. The guest speaker will be Aaron Wade discussing the first phase of infrastructure updates in Wailuku and alternate parking locations. Now, if you want to get a little more hands-on, Habitat for Humanity is having their 12th annual Build-A-Thon. Mark your calendar for Friday, February 21st, and Saturday, February 22nd for Habitat Maui's annual Build-A-Thon. The Build-A-Thon is a public awareness and fundraising event. Participants are asked to raise a minimum of $100 per person in pledges and spend a day on the construction site helping Habitat build affordable housing in Lahaina. Lunch, snack, and door prizes will be provided, and... The available times are from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. 
To sign up or for more information, call 808-242-1140. Once again, the number is 808-242-1140. Or you can email Yvonne at habitat-maui.org. That's Y-V-O-N-N-E at habitat-maui.org. Now I'm going to do something I usually don't do. I want to discuss a rumor that I've been hearing. So I know a lot of you are concerned over recent rumors that the county is looking into a broader phase-out of short-term rental homes in Maui County, perhaps similar to what is being done on Molokai right now. I generally don't like to address rumors on this platform, but it was a prominent topic at the last MVRA meeting, that's Maui Vacation Rentals Association, and it impacts a lot of realtors. So I feel it, it is prudent to at least comment on the issue for now. The truth is, little is known by anyone as to what the county might be considering or who in the county is considering it. My understanding is that no legislation has been drafted or circulated yet, but the planning department will be meeting with interested groups to discuss possibilities. One of those groups is RAM. Another group is the MVRA. In an attempt to be proactive, RAM's Government Affairs Committee has established a task force to research the broader economic implications of such a plan and to weigh the various arguments for and against Maui's current regulations related to short-term rental homes and B&Bs. Similarly, we have begun coalition building and we will make sure that your interests are being represented. Now, I can't tell you how this will all play out, but I can tell you that we are on top of the issue and that we are concerned and we're taking your concerns seriously and I'll be keeping you well informed throughout this whole process. Now, on to the show. Today's interview is with Councilmember Yukile Sugimura, Council Representative for the Upcountry Residency Area and Chair of the Water, Infrastructure, and Transportation Committee. Councilmember Sugimura was born and raised in Wailuku and has been interested in politics since her days as a high school student. Now, Yuki is extremely personable and she was a delight to talk to. If you enjoyed this interview, I highly recommend visiting her at the Upcountry Farmers Market for her monthly Talk Story with Yuki outreach program. Or, you know, just email her and give her a call. She, she really is just um, an extremely welcoming and friendly individual. And I think you'll enjoy the interview. So stay tuned. I am joined today by Yukile Sugimura, council member for the Upcountry Residency Area and chair of the Water Infrastructure and Transportation Committee. Good afternoon, council member. Good afternoon, Jason. So let's just jump right into it because you have limited time. Tell us where you grew up. I grew up right here in Wailuku Town. So um, when I grew up in Wailuku Town, it was when a time when we had 50,000, well, not in Wailuku Town, but Island of Maui, we had like 50,000 people here. Now we have 160,000 people. It was a, a very um, quaint kind of town growing up. And I grew up, my house was in Sand Hills, the old Sand Hills. And I used to walk down to Wailuku Elementary and then later on to EL school and I never walked much to Baldwin because by then I was driving but um, in the midst of everything that I did always was community and um, the ability to network with people because we were such a you know small community so Jason I used to say that we were always good um, 
because we knew that if we did something bad, by the time we got home, our parents would know. It was a time when people communicated. Um, pe my parents would share food with our neighbors, and people who knew that we liked to eat certain kinds of food would share with us. Um, and community was always important. Wailuku Town was the old Wailuku Town that if you hear or read about in the Maori Redevelopment Agency um, doctrine, the agency book, it talks about <clears throat> a town where there was the big stores was National Dollars, Crest Store, um, and if you wanted to do anything, they were, you would understand this because you're a realtor, um, it would be store on the bottom and people lived on the top, right? Yeah. So it was a time that um, I always call it where people touched other people in more ways than just only, hi, how are you, you know? And, um, but that's the environment that I grew up in. Um, a big part of that, and it, if you ever ask me what my favorite book is, it's gonna tie to this question, to this part of my life, is that <clears throat> um, the Wailuku Honganji Mission, which is right in Wailuku Town, um, that's where I went to Japanese school. So from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade, I went to uh, Wailuku Honganji after school because that's where my parents sent us for, I would call it babysitting, but to learn about um, Buddhism and then as well as to learn Japanese language. Do you speak Japanese? Very little. Very little. <laughs> I don't even like to say it because I don't even like to say it because I'm very, very bad at it. But I lived it. Um, culture is really, really important to me. And if you ever one day come to my house, you'll see that all around me I have Japanese art and Japanese um, hand things that were um, handed down through generations. But it's a part of the way I live life, right? So it's like anything else. It's the food, like you, right? The food you eat and the people you associated with are all part of this history. And um, But the Japanese culture, um, probably I know more about than how to speak Japanese, but all of that was a, a major part of me growing up in Wailuku Town. So um, right now there's something really important going on in our community, which is the Wailuku Civic Complex. Yes. And the Wailuku Civic Complex is in the municipal parking lot. Right now there's 280 stalls. And once the um, county does build, finally, this um, Wailuku Civic Complex, it'll double the amount of stalls available to the community. That is a project that I worked in the Office of Economic Development, and I was a Wailuku um, Town Coordinator, and I did that for the County of Maui. One of the things I tried to do is build a parking structure, but it's such a familiar um, part of my life, Wailuku Town is, and um, last night, uh, last night, yeah. No, two nights ago was the community meeting regarding the uh, Wailuku town. Uh, there were about 50 people uh, who attended, and it was just to talk about what the plans are ahead. So Monday is groundbreaking, and we're going to start the infrastructure we call 1A, Phase 1A. 1B will start, I think, in um, ending of... I'm, I better not give dates because I'm not really accurate. Well, that's all sure, right. But um, then 1B, and the part that's not going to get built, Jason, is the part that brings the heart and soul of the town there, which is phase two, which would have been the offices and a farmer's market and bringing in some boutique shops, but shops, but building it 
as part of the um, the parking structure. So right mm. now we're going to end up with a parking structure, with, but much needed um, change to our infrastructure in Wailuku Town. Um, so um, now I'm I'm curious if I can just mm -hmm. to to jump around a little bit. One of the things that you talked about was how you loved growing up in Wailuku mm -hmm. and how it, it brought this community feel to mm -hmm. it. People knew mm -hmm. you, they knew what you liked. Mm -hmm. A lot of the uh, pushback for the civic complex is saying that this would ruin the character of Wailuku. That, that was a lot of the pushback as far as not including that phase two with the offices. Do you agree with that? So I will, I will tell you that um, the Wailuku Redevelopment Area Plan, which was written, um, and I was part of it because I was in the Office of Economic Development, got finalized and approved by the Council. Um, the MRA's duty under HRS Chapter 53, Hawaii Revised Statutes, is to take a town, which is slum and blight, which is a terminology, it's a federal terminology that brings you funding. Um, and you know state which means that we need to work on it we need to revitalize it we need to invigorate it right mm. um so your question of do i agree with what's happening and i do because it's with the idea of bringing wailuku to the next phase of the community and i, I believe it's an important next step um the phase two would have given it the heart and soul, which I think is what the Maui Redevelopment Agency um, document has, the um, Wailuku um, area plan has, and that's all part of what the big vision was, is according to what was adopted in 2000 by the council at the time. Um, and it, it really emphasizes the historical significance of the town if we wanted to come in and disregard that, the, that part of it, it would have been a plan. When I started working in the Office of Economic Development, I, I was researching and looking at what other administrations were planning on doing with Wailuku Town. It was to tear, the, tear Market Street down, level it all around the municipal lot, and build a new town. That was the original that concept. That was a, a concept. That was one of the concepts. Mm. Yeah, and it didn't pass. And um, if you, well, you see what's there in, in terms of Wailuku, in terms of small town, you know how the buildings are all built right next to each other? Yeah. Right? So in today's zoning, it would never happen, right? You would have to do all the setbacks and, you know, uh, there was a lot of things that was done before and it matched the community. Um, and the, the vision for the town what we see today and I and, and and what has been preserved is that character mm. you know um, and the I hope we can build phase two which is another you know it was the pushback is the amount of money it would have been yeah. to build phase two but to me that's the essence and the heart of the importance of the Wailuku Civic Complex it's not only you know, open market or whatever, but it's also offices so that we can stop paying rent elsewhere where we, we're renting from uh, other businesses. Like the like One Main Plaza is a good example. We occupy almost the whole building and we pay rent. And um, as policymakers, we look, at, we look at the term pay rent as we need to do better utilization of our tax dollars. Yeah. And it's the, all the hardworking people who contribute to um, to that, um, 
you know, to pay taxes, real property taxes and all the services and fees, but more so real property taxes that um, we're pretty, oh, I am pretty serious about that, so. I mean, we're pretty serious about it yeah. too. That's, that's one of our, our banner issues is yeah. real property taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now to jump back to, to you growing up in Wailuka. Okay. Um, and, and to let our listeners know a little bit more about you, you were class president. Oh, wait, is that I can't right? believe you know that. Yes. Yeah, and, and that was your, I'll call that your first foray into politics. Do you recall what your, your platform was when you ran on class we president? We were never that serious. Never that never serious. Never that serious. But what, what I did do, the kind of things I remember, you're probably going to, small town, right? So we did things like we had our class dance in the gym the, where the EL school um, administration office was, was a gym. It was, I'm sorry, National Guard building before. So we had dances in there, or we had dances in, you know, I mean, the gym. Um, So one of the things I wanted to do was, and we're the first class to do it, is to have our um, junior prom at a hotel, right? And so we had it at what was called the Intercontinental Hotel. It's it's Wailea Beach today. Okay. Looked very different, you know, it's, it's, it's way more remodeled and everything, but it was still very special. So things like that, you know, which is very different than the kind of things that I think are important today as an adult. Back then, did you know or, or have any inclination that you might get involved in politics? I always have been. Really? Yes. So um, do you know who Pandi Yokuchi is? He, he created the MAC. Okay. He had the vision for the MAC, Maui Arts and Cultural Center. His daughter is is one of my best friends, like all growing up. So when, when we were in, um, I think I was a junior in high school, Pandi Yokouchi, who was um, part of the kitchen cabinet, I would say for John Burns, their governor. And at that time it was, uh, Lieutenant Governor was George Ariyoshi, who later became um, the governor. Um, Pandi helped cre- um, help with putting on a, um, uh, a rally, I guess, in the War Memorial Gym that we know of. And so Mickey asked if we would help pass out, and I remember we passed out um, um, first aid kits and little, you know, paraphernalia for to promote then um, Governor Burns who was running for re-election. And so that was my first inclination of, oh, this is fun. This is really, you know, interesting. And, and we, when, I, when I went to the gym, Jason, they were like, it was packed. It was, everybody was in there. And all the rows and rows, which is same like today because we haven't remodeled the War Memorial Gym, it was packed with people. And on the far end, which now has, then has the, um, the boys and girls locker rooms, um, I remember there were all these bleachers there too. And that was a group that sang, they were called Up With People. Oh, yeah. You remember them? So they came, I don't know if they came from Outer Island, or I don't know where they all came from, but it was so inspiring just to be amongst these people who believed, you know? And so that was my first taste of doing something in that arena, um, and of which my whole life I've actually done political um, campaigns and worked for political, um, I've been an officer with the Democratic Party, I've been um, campaign, worked on campaigns, you know, in Honolulu, and only time when I didn't was when our family moved, when I got married and moved to um, California. So during that time, I didn't do any campaigning. You know, we were working our business, but um, 
it's always been in the background. So the steps that I've taken in my life, um, the other the other people who have been um, pretty influential in, in taking me down this path is Senate, U.S. Senator Danny Noy, who passed away. Um, that when uh, he helped me, he asked me to be one of the co-chairs for his campaign on Maui because he runs statewide. So I was a co-chair with uh, Mark Andrews, who was a House of Representatives, retired, and, and he and I were um, doing his re-election campaign. And it was the greatest experience of getting connected to the community. And because Senator Inouye did so much for so many people and, and all the industries from top of the mountain all the way to the ocean, right? Um, there were people, I think, who were very grateful to him, and it was a fun campaign. It was inspiring because he wasn't like only asking for their vote, because that's the ultimate, but people wanted to thank him yeah. for what he did. I mean, he was a, a legitimate hero. Yes, yes. And I did that, and then when I worked for the county, um, I was so lucky because my one of the main things I did, your opening question about growing up in Wailuku, one of the things um, that I did was being the Wailuku Revitalization Coordinator for um, then James Kimoapana, who was the mayor. And Senator Inoue, one day I met with him after he ran, of course, he would never, oh, well, it would be hard for him to <laughs> not lose an election, I mean, to lose an election because he helped so many people. But after I met with him and, um, he just said, you know, if there's anything that I can help you with, let me know. And so he sent money down to res help restore the EL theater and put seats in them. And um, you know that EL, that um, restroom that's in the EL theater parking lot? Yeah. It, has, it was supposed to be a police resource center connected to it because my work with Wailuku Town, what the town told me was what they wanted was a public restroom and they wanted to have police presence for safety. And so um, Senator helped get me money through um, um, EDA, environment, uh, what, Economic Development Funds, mm. um, to Wailuku Town because of slum and blight, right? The MRA HR 53, how it all ties together. Um, but he helped get me federal funds to help with EAL and, and then also with building that restroom there. It was supposed to have a um, police, res it was supposed to be a police resource center, but um, I think the county just uses that for an office now. I think it's probably too small. But um, the clean and safe program that's there now, it helps fulfill that. But that's how my life has sort of meshed together with different things that I've done. I've been so grateful. Um, yeah, and it's all helped. I think in the you know in the big picture of what's important for the community. Also, yeah. you know, you, since you brought up Wailuku and your mm -hmm. commitment to Wailuku, mm -hmm. um, how did you get involved with First Friday? Because you, oh. you really kind of found it. Well, First you did Friday. research. Didn't I did a little you? research. Wow, <laughs> that's another one of my passions. So, um, so First Friday, what happened was because of the work that I did with Wailuku Revitalization um, Coordinator, I was always connected with Wailuku Town. And the merchants actually launched that. Terry Edmonds, who is with the If the Shoe Fits, is her store. She's since moved down to Kahului. Um, but she was right there on um, Market Street. Yeah. And she was the president of the Wailuku Community Association. And um, she had gone to Honolulu and, or had seen an article in the paper about the, the Chinatown in Honolulu their first Friday. 
And I still remember I was sitting, we had a meeting under the banyan tree, our, our banyan tree on the corner of Vineyard and Market. And she held up the newspaper and she says, we can do this, you know. So the community started it. And for one year, they, and it, it used to be from Vineyard and it would end before um, Aala Street, Alai Street, Alai Street, before the Banyan Street Park. So it wasn't a complete, like what it is now. Oh. It used to be market all the way from, um, so it was from Maine to that little street. And I used to think, oh, this is so dangerous because it was an open street. It never stopped. They didn't stop traffic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, just starting something. Yeah. It tied into my work when I was in Office of Economic Development. I did these festivals. So I've always done big events. And I did, um, when I, in 1999 to 2002, when I was there, we did Chinese New Year's. We did a um, Japanese festival, Maui Matsuri. We did an event for Hawaiian, uh, Ho'olaolea, we called it, and another one for the Hispanic community called um, Somos Amigos. But we basically wanted to honor the cultural, cultural aspect of the town and bring people back to the town, right? So because I did all of that then, and I, had, I kind of understood how you do big events mm. by my, wa my work at Economic um, Office of Economic Development, when this idea of Wailuku First Friday came up and the town did it, I kind of helped them on the side as a, you know, whatever way I could. And at some point they said, okay, can you help us? And, and that was exciting for me. And after a year of, of them doing it, I think, then I took it and I grew the event. I mean, it's in my passion, right? Wailuku Town, um, do big events, cultural, community. And another thing I'm really good at is finding sponsors. Which so, must be helpful when you're running yeah, for office. Yeah. Oh, well, not running for office, but yeah. more like when you're trying to do those kind of community events because you're really going to have to convince whoever to come in and participate. So mm. you, gotta, you have to sell the idea of um, the beauty of, of participating and what would you get, you know, being part of community. So all of that, it fits in perfectly with the things I like to do. And so when First Friday opportunity came up, I said, yes. I, one of the things was we closed off the street. We extended it all the way down to Vineyard. So market, I mean, from Maine, market all the way to Vineyard. So where it is now. And I made sure my biggest expense of doing First Friday was the police because I really believe in safety and security. And I was grateful when I heard my friends from the mainland who can, came to visit said, boy, this is, feels really safe. Mm. You know, and so that's that's exactly what we needed, right? All you need is an accident, and the, it it can kill an event. So my biggest expense was hiring off-duty police, and then trying to find um, money to pay entertainers. I learned when I first started with Office of Economic Development. Um, I learned from Hokulani Holt Padilla. She's with UH Maui College now. And when I, when I met with her, because I was going to do what was called Aloha Fest, it is still Aloha Festivals, um, and I was the Maui uh, representative or coordinator of statewide organization, I went to see her because I'm not Hawaiian, but yet Mayor Apana asked me if I could, you know, sit on that board to represent Maui County and to represent Maui County. And I went to see her. I said, okay, what do I need to do because I'm not Hawaiian? And she must have told me a lot of things which are cultural and spiritual, but one of the things that stuck with me and I've carried it throughout is never take advantage 
of our kupuna, mm. you know, our elders, and never take advantage of entertainers. And she says a lot of times people ask them to come and do cultural hands-on activities or they'll perform and you don't pay them, but you pay everybody else. And it's easy to do because when you look at all the expenses you have to do to close a street down and, you know, do marketing to bring people there so that they can, um, you know, participate to grow your event, easiest thing to do is not pay people if you can, right? But she taught me early on, never take advantage of entertainers, which to this day, I, I do not. Never take advantage of people who have talent and gifts that they can give you because, um, and, and, and I mean, just kind of really basic things. Um, but yeah, but the, so I look at First Friday, I don't go to it as much as I used to, but a lot of the basic things that I did in terms of setting it up is still there in terms of foundation. And we have great coordinators, Leslie, um, I forgot her last name, but Leslie and Alan Takitani, they both manage it. Mm. So you have to manage the fiscal part and do all the permits and do all the securing of entertainment, getting all the booths in, you know, and crafters and vendors, and then making it interesting. So it, it was fun. I, I loved it. I loved it till the day I left. I think I did it for 10 years. Did you have any involvement in establishing the other Friday events around the island? So what happened was um, how, that, how that started is at that time, Alan Arakawa and Tina Rasmussen from the Office of Economic Development, I had lunch one day and she said, they looked around and they said, what is happening that good in the community? And one of them was First Friday. Mm. I was surprised. And she said that what she wanted to do was um, mirror that and take it to other communities. So the other communities are small town, sugar plantation, towns, and appreciate the essence of the town and bring in the character of each town and have a free event once a month, um, once a week, every Friday. If you're a visitor, you know that you could go to Wailuku first Friday, second is Lahaina, third is Makawao, and fourth, um, it was Paia for a little while, but it was dangerous, so they stopped it because they didn't have a street they could close. Yeah. Um, and then they opened it up in Kihei, and it's been there since, super successful. And then I was glad to see um, Lanai does Fifth Friday. Oh. So they have an event, and it's, it's a great event, right around you know Dole Park. Um, booths come up, and they have entertainment, and then they include the merchants in it. It's a really good concept, because the concept of the Fridays is supposed to be to help business, help small businesses. So. I yeah. love it. I, I love it as a as a concept, and I, you know, it's just so much fun to to have some place where you can walk in the middle of the street and see everybody. You go and you run into folks that you know all the time. Yeah. It's Thank you for that. I, yeah. I do it's, appreciate it's that. It's good fun, and um, yeah, and it's a place to bring community together. You know, so you know that if you if you go to First Fridays, to know that I could see a lot of my friends would stop by and would you know talk story and. It's, it's just the perfect community kind of, you know, small town community environment. And um, it was another good way of introducing visitors to our local community also, because they would come and um, they would see everybody, you know, walking around and you could stop and, and share, you know, stories about this food is here, you know, this store or whatever. And it, 
it just worked, you know. Yeah, and especially now when you have visitors where a lot of times they get off the plane, they get in their rental car, they'll go to Costco or Walmart yeah, yeah. or Target, and then they'll go to their hotel, and they don't really get a chance to interact with local small businesses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So having an event that draws them there, that highlights the local businesses, yes. it, it's really a great idea. And, and I've seen it in other towns around the US, oh, yeah. and oh, it's, yeah. it works everywhere. Yeah, Everybody yeah. enjoys it. Yeah. And if you get somebody like Willie Kay out there and you get 20,000 people showing I know. up, <laughs> it's I pretty know. cool. I know, yeah. he's so good. And he's performed for First Friday. The first time I had him there, I did not know what to expect. I didn't have enough police oh, for bad. security. The whole street was like people to people, and it, he was, the stage he was on, and he, it was just packed. I had Makaha Sons, and the same thing happened. So the only person I could never get is Kelly Reichel. Mm. I really wanted him to get, but, but he's, you know, he's really, really talented too, but I could never get Kelly. But just entertainment's really important and for people to have fun, Yeah, you know, so. And then, so my job was as a coordinator, setting up a place that was safe and that, um, of course, handle whatever problems that came up and make sure that, you know, it, it's someplace that people want to come back to. So it was fun. Now, it was fun. To get into your, your political life again, you've been involved in, in politics, in the political scene for some time, and, and also for uh, community organizing, because mm -hmm. that's essentially what it mm -hmm. is when mm -hmm. you're organizing these festivals. What was it that triggered your inclination to actually run for office and serve in a, in a position? Because uh, this is only your second term, in mm -hmm. spite of the fact that you've got 20 years of experience in local Different politics. Things, yeah. yeah. So, you know, as I said, I th this is my life journey. And, and so the most important thing um, to me was making sure my family was gonna be okay before I took something that would be for myself, because this is really for myself. Too. Yeah, it's a commitment. It's a commitment of time. And um, yeah, t it takes a lot of time away from my family. For a lot of folks who, who aren't familiar, because I've heard people say, well, county council, that's a part-time job yeah, in yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. places. Mm -hmm. How many hours do you think your part-time job being a county council member takes up for you? So I think I, I said once, and it was printed in the Maui News, and it's really true before the salary commission, um, is that this is not a part-time job. This is a 24-7 job, um, and I knew that my life changed once I could not go shopping in what I call boda boda clothes, <laughs> right? I mean, before I walk out that door, I have to look somewhat like I'm, <clears throat> you know, at any moment I'm going to talk to people. And I, I do. I mean, I carry a, a notebook in my purse because I could be anywhere and somebody says, oh, can you help me? I have something, you know, I want you to help me with. And I have a great office that uh, we do constituency work. In fact, um, Mickey, who works for me, her main job is constituency um, relations. She's super good at it. And she's good because she's been here like 18 years, and she knows a lot of people in the department, and we're able to reach out and, and, and find answers. And sometimes it's hard, hard and can't do it, but we try. Um, so anyway, this is not a part-time job. It's not a part-time job. It's not job. a part-time job. Um, <clears throat> and, and just to, to remind you of the question, the first question before I cut you off with another question, <laughs> was what was it that changed and, and triggered your 
your move to actually run. Oh, for to council. actually run. So um, I don't think it was like somebody says, "Oh, they did this," so I decided to run. It's never like that. But I saw our community changing, and I wanted to be part of the conversation. I wanted to be at the table, and. Um, the reason why is for all the all the things you asked me about what it was like growing up in in Maui, um, in Wailuku Town, or you know, and what Maui was like during that time, and my life experiences. That I wanted to be another voice at the table for decisions that I think are important to really the working families. Um, and again, my. Because my, I would never do this unless if my family, especially my son, I have a 27-year-old, soon 28-year-old son. Um, he graduated, and in fact, the only time I didn't, well, he graduated, he got his master's from Georgetown, but um, um, I didn't go to his graduation because I was, there was a forum that I had to attend during that election year. And I mean, that was like a huge decision, you know, but Anyway, that's the only time I didn't go. My son is, um, he graduated and he went to um, Dartmouth College in New Hampshire and he did it in four years and he went and got his um, master's at Georgetown and now he's working, right? So all this time, I want to make sure that his needs are being met. No matter how old you are, your parents are still your parents, right? So as soon as now that he's working, at, once he started working in UK, he's fine. He, he does really well um, in, in terms of his life decisions and values. But um, so I, I had to make sure that that was fine. I have a great husband. He's like my greatest supporter, and I would not be able to do this if he's not doing all my camp, campaign spending reports and all the things behind the scene that, you know, you don't know happens but is required, mandated by law. Um, he has his PhD, so he's super smart, you know, like you. And he 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 is able to um, always read and decipher things and help me with you know that stuff besides my staff. Um, but it was really life experiences, Jason, where I wanted our working families um, to have a voice on the council, and I hope that I can bring a more balanced you know decision. The kind of things that are really important to me, which is important to you, and I and I. When you come and testify before us, Jason, I listen to what you say because you know the facts and the data from the housing market and from commercial market. You know all the things that are related to real property tax, um, which is which is our greatest source of revenue. But you talk to the people that are occupying the houses or or selling the homes and and what's out there. What are the things that we need to be aware of as policymakers? And sometimes we miss it, right? If you get stuck up here and you don't talk to the people out there, we don't know, but you talk to a whole nother group of people that I don't get to, and I'm grateful that you're doing even this, you know, mm. because it introduces us to them, and I hope that anyone um, of, of your uh, Realtors Association of Maui feel that they can call us or call me or send me an email or whatever, but, um, those are the important things. Um, so when I decided to run, I, I, we got um, sworn in in January, uh, 2017. From February of 2017 to now, once a month I have a booth at the Upcountry Farmers Market, and I do that because I want to hear from people, and um, I want to know what they think about just things that are going on in government. People talk to me about federal government, state government. 
um, and of course the county you know what are the decisions we're making because things that I always say that when you're on our level the county level we're the boots on the ground we're the crack on the road mm. you know we're the you know the the weeds on the sidewalk or the the, um, the weeds that are coming up on the side of the road that's blocking your view so you can't see I mean you know we're th we're that discussion that we care about because it's public safety you yeah. know so um, anyway I that's why I ran yeah I'm you know I think um, it's an old saying that all politics is local politics and a lot of times people love talking to me about politics and they get especially fired up about national politics <laughs> but what I try and remind people is that the the politicians who affect their lives the most on a daily basis are the ones who are in this building, who are the folks who are serving the county, more so than even the state or the federal government, because the state, we have a, a part-time legislature, um, you're year-round, mm -hmm. really 24-7, mm -hmm. and then you know, once a month you're waking up early and going to the farmer's <laughs> market and doing that, and I'm sure people hound you when you're, when you're walking around. Now, you, you said that you support local families, and, and that's your, your top concern. You've been in office, uh, you said you started January 2017, what are some things that you've pushed, some things that you've supported um, that you can demonstrate that, yeah, you are working for the people? What are you proud of? So one of the things that I, I do is weigh housing projects that mm. come before us. And you are a consistent proponent of housing projects yes, that come before the I county. Yes, I really am. And, and people say um, there are good projects and projects that are not good you know whatever but we need housing mm. and by us continually stopping uh, you know Jason you know because you watch us that we always the council puts a, a developer comes before us by the time he's come before us he's done all of his um, finances he's gone through the permitting process with the you know our county government state government and making sure that you know all the um, I's are dotted and T's are crossed and whatever and the housing department sends this to us and if we sit there and we add more conditions on it what we're doing is we're telling you ah yeah not gonna pencil out anymore yeah you know so if you've watched me over these last you know three years now when projects have come before me I think I put one condition on but it was because at that time the developer was being questioned about some kind of fee, I forget what it was. So I asked him during recess, would it be okay if we asked you to pay for that? And he said, okay. So I, had one, I, asked, I added one condition on. And I would add more if I think it's necessary, but I know by the time it comes here, as long as it's approved by fire and police and you know, the housing department, public works, everybody who you know, gave their approval, and if the project has been able to answer the important questions of security that we should support it through. You know what I hope the county would do one day, Jason, is that I hope the county will build infrastructure, more infrastructure, for projects to actually happen. Yes. And now that I have my new committee, which I know you know since you did all this research on me, um, so my Water, Infrastructure, and Transportation Committee is actually a combination of my multimodal transportation and infrastructure means, okay, so now I have water, I have public works, environmental management, and the bus service is what 
the transportation really is, but um, I have all of those committees, uh, uh, departments under me. But I hope with the infrastructure portion of it that I can help be the solution so we have developers that we can support them and put in infrastructure where we need to be so that they can build. Yes. We need, we need to do the things we do well, and I really believe that we have a good public works department that knows how to build roads and fix roads. Um, we just need more money so we can do more of it. Um, and then our environmental management, Eric Nakagawa, it's super, I've learned so much, I learned so much about um, his department through the injection well issue. Yes. Um, and how important it is. And the other part of my committee, which is water, right? So all of the things that are in my committee are, are, are important so that we can move our community forward. Um, and so, um, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping that it, I can help find the solution to build more houses and be, um, so that our working families can keep their kids home. My, yeah. One of my, my big concerns with this notion that the county should now get involved in developing housing mm. and, and becoming the developer and the landlord and everything is that that seems like Sure, that would be swell if we could figure that out. But we still have a, a pretty big deficit of infrastructure projects that are already within the county's purview that we haven't gotten to. So if we add housing on top of the infrastructure that we haven't built yet to build that housing, I, I don't really see how it would work out. Uh, do you have any, any thoughts that you would like to share or that you would prefer not to share <laughs> regarding the whole debate between a housing authority or splitting the Department of Housing and Human Concerns or, or how that should be managed? I believe that we're not at the stage where we should bifurcate, mm. right? The Housing and Human Concerns, um, the, the community and, and, and the voices out there that want to do that, to create a housing authority, create a housing department, and, and human concern separate. Um, we're not at that place, and it costs so much money. Again, protect the taxpayer dollars, you yeah. know, is, is how I feel very strongly. And I don't, I, I don't believe that we are equipped either to build houses. Um, whenever the county tries to do something, although we did really well with the Kulamalu project with that rental, which was a need, it costs a lot of money. I, I, I heard once somebody, you know, talk about how much it costs us to do it. But every time government tries to do something, you got to follow the Davis-Bacon Act and do all these things, which you should anyway. But we're more expensive, you yeah. know. So we should let developers build and we should support them by doing infrastructure, what we do best. That, that's what I really feel. So whether we should have a housing authority or... Um, be the developers, you know, and everything, um, and even to split up the department. Um, I think a presentation was done recently on a housing plan that's going to cost like maybe $800 million. I don't know if you saw that present, you probably didn't see that presentation by your reaction. So our budget right now for the county of Maui is about $800 million. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, the whole budget. <laughs> that's the whole budget. And so if, if this housing plan, which was, I mean, I just thought it, nothing's ever, I mean, it wasn't voted on or it's not final, but just that throughout the numbers, like casually, like, 
800 million dollars yeah maybe it's going to cost 800 million dollars but the county cannot do it and i don't want the county to do it that's a lot of money yeah that somebody else can help us and we can partner i really believe in you know private public partnerships so you know going back to your question about supporting housing i i support housing i try to vote in fact i voted probably to support every housing project and i've lost mm. on some um but yet there's value in making building houses for our working families yeah and the longer we stay away you know supply and demand is going to keep on you have eight how our, our median income for houses now are eight hundred thousand and that's because we don't build enough right so we keep we have this um yeah supply and demand i you know i'm blown away when people suggest, and there's more than one person that has suggested to me that there's some sort of conspiracy theory to say that we need to develop more housing, that the housing crisis or the housing shortage can somehow be solved without further development. Um, oftentimes I'm criticized as, as a shill for developers uh, because I represent realtors, the people who sell the houses, not even the ones who develop it. I don't represent developers. Mm -hmm. um, to me, it, it very clearly, part of it is a supply and demand issue. Mm -hmm. Um, is there is there a way that that you could see where we can get the supply up while while still lowering prices? I mean, to me, it's yeah. We need more rentals. More rentals. Yeah. I really believe we need more rentals, and we need to build up, right? Um, why do you let, let's a real basic question? It's, it's, why build it's up? Because it's supply, right? So another thing I really believe in is that if the, if, if the county wants to, I think the state is proposing that, this also, is that we should have our land be on lease land, right? So we can cut, this is about cutting costs, right? So we lease our land, county land, we help with the infrastructure, and if we build up, then it's gonna draw the prices down, right? Supply and demand. And, and, um, yeah, I would like to see that. I really would like to see that. And one of the one of the things to add on the building up is, I like building up because it means that you're not spreading. Right. You know, we're all afraid of sprawl right. on the right. island because right. we have a limited land mass and it's beautiful and it's green and we want to keep it very verdant and, yeah. and nice. So building up is the simple solution. If you want to keep the, the footprint smaller, then how do you get density? You build yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't want to look like Honolulu, though. No. We don't want to look like Honolulu. No. You know, but one of the things that, that differentiates us from Oahu is even our land designations as far as ag land. We have a lot more ag land than, than Oahu had to begin with, or at least at the beginning of the, the millennia. So, so it's unlikely that we would be able to jump to a, a position like Oahu is in where where we have this super high density and even uh, projects like like senator stanley chang's aloha homes bill mm. um, that there's a recognition that that wouldn't work on maui speaking with senator chang he he didn't have any interest in that mm. but um moving it to maui i should say mm -mm. he is interested in the bill i don't know about that bill what is that bill about oh well so our housing need for the state is uh -huh. at like 67,000 units, something, something like that. I think a little bit less. I, I might have rounded up there. But his idea is building high rises for low income rentals that would, or, or leasehold estates, I think it is, where, with 99 year leases. 
and you have to be a resident, full-time occupant, and um, I guess it, it would be not short-term rentable. There are all sorts of restrictions as far as that. Mm -hmm. Like you have mm -hmm. to live in it, and he's even proposed some crazy stuff like facial recognition tech oh. to ensure that people are there. And even he doesn't think that's a good idea. He just put it in the bill to say, this is a possible way that we can oh. do it, just to get the ball rolling for the, the folks who might be for it, might be against it. Um, and it would be built on state-owned lands. Mm -hmm. So, and, and close to the, the transportation hubs, where mm -hmm. the, the light rail stations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I don't think that the, the bill is going to move forward because it's very ambitious and it's huge. But I respect Senator Chang because a he is idea. the only one that's coming with actual, you know, let's do this. He's being criticized for it, which that's fair. You know, that just makes the idea better. Iron sharpens mm -hmm. iron. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. but yeah, he's he's coming up with ideas. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend if you get the chance to, yeah, to sit down it. with him okay. because he is he is a young Harvard guy, but but from here and just brilliant. He's going to be governor someday, I think. Oh, okay. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> um, now, now you 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 have been a proponent of housing. Is, is there anything that you wish you would have done differently thus far in your tenure as a as a council member? Anything that you would have changed? I, I don't think so. I really don't, Jason. That's I, great. I, I got it. Well, I'm I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I'm everything I've done was perfect, but. I, I, the, the thing that I do and how seriously I take this job is that before I make a decision on the floor, I'm pretty sure that's where my you know, vote wants to be. Um, and I stick to my values. I, I really vote with my, you know, my value and hopefully integrity. Um, that I hope that it's, it's, it's something that the uh, general public will understand. I don't think there's anything I wish I could have done differently. Maybe I wish I would have done more for ag um, in the first term because I had ag as part of my busy committee. Mm. But I haven't, I, I, I will. I have this one thing, oh, here it is. This is it. I didn't finish it, but I'm still um, working on it, is um, what's called one farm plan. Mm. So when I got into office last time, um, I mean, last term, so the Farmers and the, um, the farmers told me that when they apply for their water benefits, when they apply for real property tax benefits, and then when you, if you're going to build another farm dwelling, there's a three permit application process. So what I was working on is having them apply once, and all the requirements for all the departments are in this one application. And the way that it was set up um, um, or envisioned was the application goes through real property tax, and then real property tax checks if you're the farmer you say you are and you know what your one, one uh, your farm plan says and and then um, it would be in our system and get revised at the uh, or uh, reviewed at the appropriate time maybe that's the one thing i wish i finished my first term but i'm going to finish it this term this term yeah are are you planning on a, on a, another term or you oh yeah you are yeah. running again. Okay. I'm going to run again. Yeah, I yeah. assumed as much, but you know, yeah, well, it's, it's nice to ask. Thanks for asking. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know that you you do have uh, other scheduling requirements. But real quick, since we were talking about money, before I go on to the closing questions, I do want to ask if you have any thoughts about implementing that that half a percentage mm. GET surcharge that that the mayor has asked for. So the meeting I'm going to go to at three o'clock 
is the Maui Metropolitan Planning Organization. And that is an organization that was set up because um, in the census, we hit the threshold of the last census of having 50,000 people in Kahului, Wailuku, and Ithru, and Paia. And because of that, now all the federal dollars, which is 25 million, goes to this um, MPO, um, and I'm the chair of it, right? And of course, what they want is, and what they wanted during our first term, and now is to support this half a percent GET. Yeah. Um, I wish I knew the amount that it would bring in, the estimates. Um, I don't remember. I can get that to you later. But the half a percent GET will bring in extra money to be used for county roads. Um, and of course, the legislature uh, would have to allow us to do that. Mm. And Maui County did not opt for it um, during my first term. And we had up till March 31st of last year um, during this next term to um, decide to do it. The council had to vote to ask the legislature to give us um, that general excise tax um, half a percent right, I guess, because they're the only ones that can do GET. And we didn't. And so now the mayor's, mayor's bill, which is going to be uh, mayor's request, which is going to be heard next week, Monday, is to ask for the county to be included up to 2030. So it would increase our um, general excise tax from 4% to 4.5%. And that money of the half a percent is supposed to be used for roads. Mm. So what is my position on it? Yes. Because that's an important question, right? Exactly. So my position on it is it's regressive. And the people that it affects um, are the people that we try to help in every other way with housing and, you know, e everything. Right? Yeah through services, and um, those are the people that are probably going to feel it. You and I, Jason, we won't even notice it, I don't think, right? Although we paid, you know, Hawaii, we paid GET tax on every single level. Every yeah. time you, you know, exchange money, you're paying, unless if you're a wholesaler. But um, so um, I don't support it because of that, because it affects people that um, cannot afford it. That's, that's my big concern, and, and I think the best criticism that I've heard, which is if Hawaii has an affordability issue, if that's why our, our citizens are leaving and going to mm -hmm. the, the mainland, and we have this, this issue that people can't afford housing, why would we hit them with more taxation, mm -hmm. more, more financial burden, mm -hmm. if they already can't sustain the financial burden mm -hmm. that they're under now? Mm -hmm. so, so thank you for, for coming out and saying that, yeah. because not a lot of folks do. Um, I, I think you know you've. I think you have been unfairly criticized by some for taking into account business perspectives when you're you're deliberating an issue, and the criticism that you get for for even acknowledging that business is an important part of how Maui functions um, is really troublesome to me. Like tourism. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and it's it's popular to say you know let's let's decommodify housing. Mm -hmm. Let's get rid of all the tourists. Let's go 100% in for ag. And I honestly kind of love those ideas to a certain degree, but then when it comes to the pragmatic mm -hmm. aspects of, well, what does that look like? What what takes the place uh, of, of tourism while we're investing in mm -hmm. ag? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how will people pay their bills? Mm -hmm. What do we do with, with the properties that we're trying to decommodify? Like, how does that even look? And those questions are rarely answered, 
but the folks who, who ask the questions are often criticized. And, and I want you to know that I, at, at least myself and several people I know, very <laughs> much appreciate your willingness to ask those questions um, in the face of, of some, some unfair criticism. So mm. thank you for that. Mm. Um, now let's, let's do these closing questions. I just got five more questions okay. for you. Yes, Piece you of cake. So my book. First, what book would you recommend? So it's personal. In on the last Sunday in February, I'm going to be speaking at Wailuku Honganji, which is my church, about Nirvana. Okay. So I'm reading a lot about that. But the book that I'm reading right now is a book that my family, um, um, my one of my aunts just did a, a historical book about my grandfather. His name is Ryu Ten. R-Y-U-T-E-N, Kashiwa, and my grandfather was a bishop for the state of Hawaii for the Buddhist temple at, in, in Honolulu. So I'm reading up on him because growing up, I was very young when he passed away, and, um, but I always heard about him. But my aunt, my, my aunt that lives in Seattle, she got other relatives together and they put a book together about him. So it's more like a personal thing for me. It's not a book that you could find at the you know, bookstore or even okay. on, online. But um, I'm learning about the character and the strength of my grandfather, and I'm going to weave it into uh, my speech at the end of uh, February about Nirvana and about Buddhism, and I, it, it, that's a real big part of my life. Um, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, so that's that's really what I'm reading right now. Absolutely, what I'm reading right now, besides all of this, which is you know work things, but. The, um, so you're you're a Buddhist. I'm a Buddhist. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, I, I love I love running into people. So usually, everybody you talk to on on this podcast, oftentimes the first response to what book would you recommend is the Bible, which oh. is lovely. That's fine, um, but it's nice to to run into somebody of a different faith because I'm not a, a Christian myself. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. so it's nice to to get to talk to a Buddhist. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that about you. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Question number two, what is guaranteed to make you smile? Oh, my son. <laughs> oh, in fact, my, my husband and I are so funny. So for the holidays, my son is 28, so he's not like a little kid anymore, but I only have one, one son. Um, and so he came home and he was, now he's like real life, right? He had to save up vacation hours and he had to still work when he was here. But he was here from the 17th of December, um, all the way till January 5th. That's a great vacation. Long, yeah? Yeah. But but he had to save up and do what real people do in terms of, you know, vacation time. But right before he left, my husband and I have a tradition where Saturday morning, we get out my phone and we sit on our kitchen counter and we talk to, we call him. So I said, oh, okay, Tak, now we're going back to normal. We're gonna wait for, every Saturday where we can call Michael so we can talk to him and find out what he's doing. So that brings the biggest smile in my life, um, truly. I you mean, your, your demeanor talking about your son lightens up. Aww, like, like you, yeah, your smile love, gets yeah, bigger. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, I get it. I totally yeah, see it. Yeah. And you know, once a mom, always a mom, right? That's beautiful. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. What is something that you've changed your mind on? Oh, you're probably going to ask me about policy things. You know what? It, this is an open question. It, it doesn't even have to be policy. If, if, you know, let's say you hated Shia LaBeouf as an actor before and you changed your mind. Okay. I'll accept, Can be anything? I'll accept I'll, that I'll tell you. I'll tell you something that I was just talking about. And I said, um, because I'm so old-fashioned, Jason, I believe that if you have children, you should be married 
if you have like if you if you're pregnant you know you get pregnant that because that's how it was when we were growing up anybody in our high school or anybody got everybody got married and then you live your life together you know i don't know how long they stay together but um it's those kind of values that i grew up with and i think now that i've seen the community shift um i mean the the whole gay marriage or or you know that whole aspect of the community it's acceptable it's fine it, it it's part of our our reality you know and those are all the shifts that we had to make value value wise um but the essence of it or the the important part of that whole thing is what is a person like mm. right it who are you um and and that part has not changed in me so it doesn't matter if you're married and not married and you know all those things i used to think oh automatically you would if you're pregnant you should get married because you would become a parent and you know that that all became not that important it's yeah. who you are as a person and yeah i'm happy to hear you say that yeah 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 because yeah. it, it really the world has changed so, so drastically much. the world has changed a lot yeah and in a lot of ways it's gotten far more accepting which yes. is really nice because yes. you know you used to be able to write people off because of their yeah their, automatically their yeah. preferences or whether they had a kid out of wedlock or yeah. something like that all of these people doesn't, would just be cut out of the conversation yeah that doesn't no and now not they anymore. they have a, a seat back at the table where oh, yeah. where their rights are are being respected yes. in a way that they they haven't been per jeez yeah. hundreds of years i know yeah it really is incredible i know and even another thing is like in hawaii um I think we're great we're fortunate because we grew up with so many different nationalities. Mm. In my family, <coughs> my my um great-grandparents came here from Japan and uh, worked in the sugarcane fields. And both my mom and my dad's side, right? Um and we were we were brought up with a lot of as life has gone on, we brought up with everybody. Yeah. So we don't only look at color of your skin as who you are but our thing is okay what high school did you graduate yeah. you know how brutal we are over here okay if you can say you graduated from Baldwin High School like me then you know you get street cred you yeah. get street credit yeah exactly um so things like that you know um i think it made us colorblind i always say uh, my son growing up you know um it it made him colorblind too i think we we never you know we had friends from all around the world but we never said okay you can't do this or you can't talk to this person that was never part of our conversation growing up at home yeah but we had very strong um upbringing because of my mom living with us she lived with us as another thing you know um small communities do is that the next generation lives with you know and we're lucky my grandma my mother lived with us to the day she died and my son for that majored in at at um Dartmouth College his minor was in Japanese he read um Japanese version of um tale of genji so he can read and write um but that all came from my mom you know not me i went to japanese school but not <laughs> me um and but anyway i'm talking about how you know we're colorblind so my son um in, in his years of school He never had a friend that he couldn't have because of what color their skin was. Yeah. Never even came to our dinner table conversation or anything like that. And I think that's the beauty of Hawaii. 
I love it. It's one of my favorite things. Um, you know, I, I spent years in South Carolina, and I stuck out like a sore thumb in South Carolina. Oh. And then I spent years in Uganda, and I stuck oh. out like a sore thumb in Uganda. And then coming to to Maui, um, I remember before I even got here at the the airplane terminal in in Portland to get my flight to Maui, looking around at all the people in the terminal and thinking to myself, it's it's a rainbow here. Like we, we got <laughs> everybody on their way to Maui, and you could you could tell the tourists just like, and you could tell the people who were going home based yeah, on yeah. on how they dressed and how they uh -huh. carried themselves and were interacting with each yeah, other. Yeah. And then getting here. You know, this is the the first time in my life where I I do not get a ton of of comments about the fact that that you know in other places I stuck out like a sore thumb. You know, African children would run around screaming mzungu at me or mzungu <laughs> because you know I like wow you're the only person that's not an African here. Uh, and in South Carolina, it was it was it wasn't as well natured sometimes, but uh, whatever. We don't have to talk about that. Uh, um, but yeah, I love the fact that, yeah. that Maui and, and Hawaii are just inclusive places mm -hmm. where, I mean, heck, even the makeup of our county council now is so impressive with the fact that you have majority women, <laughs> um, you, you have, I mean, everybody's got a little bit of, of some ethnic flavor in there. It's not just, you know, basic white old guy. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, it's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy that you recognize that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on. When have you failed and what did you learn from it? This is my favorite question. Oh, way. your favorite question. God, when did I fail? You told me you were going to ask me that question. Uh, in general, um, I think whenever you fail, you learn the most, you know? Mm. Um, I gotta think about that. All right. Yeah. When did you fail? I thought that um, pretty much in the a lot of things that I do, um, I've taken a leadership role, you know, and maybe to some degree then, um, I was able to mold the outcome, you know. Um, so I'm grateful for that, you know, because I've, I've done big things um, in the community and seen a lot of successes, actually. And from each success, I, I, I've learned um, how to utilize that for an optimal next step, you know. Oh, I know what I can think of. One that hit me pretty hard was I helped um, Mayor Apana, well, we all did, for his re-election, and he didn't win. Mm. That was heartbreaking for me because I worked, well, a lot of us did work really hard on his election. Um, and it taught me a lot about campaigning and um, people in general, you know, in that, in that arena, which is the arena I, I'm in now. So I mean, that's probably why I work so hard because I don't want to lose, but you can always lose. Um, but That's a great lesson. Yeah. You can always lose. You can always lose, yeah. But I, I do know that from that I learned a lot. Yeah, it was my step that I took. In fact, the interesting thing that happened with, on that, at, at some point, um, um, who was going to, uh, Mike White. Mike White? Somebody was not going to run. Or Gladys Bisa was in office. And she said that somebody was not going to run. And so therefore, she wanted to know if I would 
run, you know, and, um, and take the seat. And so the discussion came up in my family with my son, with Michael. He was, um, I don't know, he was 10. And I said, Michael, I've been asked if I would run for office because he already knew that that was something I wanted to do in the future. And he said, Mom, I need you at home. Oh, wow. And he said, yeah. And he said to me that, oh, no, he was going to start, he was going to start looking for colleges. So he was in high school already. And he just said, Mom, we're, we're on a trip, in fact. And um, he said, I need you at home. And I know how you are when you get involved in a project. But for now, I need you. And so at that point, at that point, I didn't run for office. Or I didn't. I just waited till he was, you know, well on his way in school, and I waited till you know Gladys Bice had termed out. Wow. Yeah, that, that was a significant part of of my life. Yeah, of my decisions. Huh. But the question was, what did I? Oh, um, the question was, what did that I? Was, that was when have you failed, and what did you learn yeah. from it? But so that, that was still a nice story. That I, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I mean, that, that shows an in incredible amount of, of care and concern mm -hmm. for, for your family. I mean, mm -hmm. my mom, I, I, don't, I don't think she would have stayed home for, for a mom, I need you. It was, oh. I, think, I think she would have been like, ah, you know, if you can't feed yourself, you don't deserve to eat. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was kind of my mom's <laughs> philosophy. Oh, but, you're just making, making that up. But... Um, Sure. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, All right. Finally, um, my, my last question, and I'm actually gonna gonna tweak it a little bit because this was a, a question that my wife wanted me to ask you. Oh. Huh. Um, which is, what one piece of advice would you give to somebody in their 30s? Oh. Boy, if I could be 30 again, that's what that's what that question means to me. You know. Um, and I think that the the most ex it, it, it's like my son, right? Because my son is 28. Yeah. So the, the most exciting thing that happens in your life is how you take your next steps for your future. And what I really like about millennials, and I didn't have that spirit in me, you know, that millennial spirit, um, like with my son. Um, my son has, um, just around the age group and the millennials, this quest for travel. Mm. Um, he works really hard, does well, and pays all his own bills and or whatever. Um, he doesn't want to buy a house. Interesting. He lives in Chicago, and he just started a new job. So maybe you know he's kind of making his way through. But he loves his he loves his job and he loves the people he works with. But I would say that um, do life in a way that will take your spirits higher than you even know today. And that's really what I see my son doing. And, and it takes, to me, it takes courage to be able to take the steps to do um, brand new career is where he is. Um, he had to make all new friends. Yeah. Except he had a, one friend from Dartmouth that was there. But he, you know, I mean, it, it really, and um, put yourself out there. Um, do life like you know that there's no tomorrow and be safe about it and make wise decisions, you know? And I, that's what I see the millennials do. You know, they're not afraid. They're not afraid to take the steps that, at, at, at that age, you know, years and years ago for me. Um, I would be too afraid to think, I'm gonna go around the world. My son thinks like that. 
and he's going to pay for it. You know, I mean, he, he, he does all the right steps to take him there, but he's not afraid to make that, um, to take the challenges that are out there that are bigger than the borders of the United States. Yeah. You know? Great advice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and, um, and your openness. And thank I, you. I really appreciate this, and I, I hope we can have you back again sometime. Soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks All for right. doing this. And thanks for listening. And when, when do we get to see this? Oh, we'll, we'll get to do this. Um, I'll, I'll probably put this out in, like, next week? Yeah. Let's put oh, it out next fast. week. I'll put it out next week. That's yeah. fast. All right. All right. Later. <laughs> <laughs>